Welcome to Listen by Jean Ginsberg. This audio experience and podcast is all about social media, digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and interviews with top entrepreneurs in the digital and social space. I'm your host, Jean Ginsberg, digital marketing expert, number one best-selling author, and award-winning entrepreneur. I will be sharing with you strategies, tips, and tactics on how to grow your business and your social media following. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, Jean Ginsberg here. Very excited for this episode of Listen by Jean Ginsberg. And I have a very special guest today, Rand Fishkin. Second time that Rand is on the podcast. So welcome back. How are you? Good, Jean. Thank you for having me. Yes, it's so exciting to have you on the podcast. And we had a good conversation last time. And I was like, hey, why don't we invite someone who is awesome back onto the podcast and have another conversation? So uh, for the audiences who are not familiar with you, um, maybe you could share a little bit about your background. Sure. Yeah. Um, so in brief, I started a company that many folks know called Moz, which is in the digital marketing software space, um, makes SEO software. Uh, ran that for many years as CEO, stepped down a few years ago and, and left that company uh, in 2018 to start a new one called SparkToro. Uh, also published a book um, called Lost and Founder. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm often known for being the host of a video series called Whiteboard Friday, which was very popular that I developed at Moz and, and, and had lots of people watching. I speak at a lot of conferences and events around the world uh, about digital marketing. And uh, the new company, SparkToro, is focused on audience research um, and intelligence. And so a little bit different from my my SEO days, but still trying to serve the digital marketing crowd. Awesome. And I remember originally it was called SEO Moz back in the early days. This yeah, is like, right. I'm dating myself because this was like probably like 10, 15 years ago when I first originally knew it as SEO Moz. And then yeah, I think yeah. you guys changed 15, it to Moz. Yeah, like 2005, six, seven. Yeah, sure. I remember all that back in the day, you know, um, but awesome. And I, I love what you're doing with your new company because that is really a big problem, you know, as, as someone who does digital marketing and our agency, we see that as a big issue. We engage with clients. We're like, great, let's start digital marketing. But before we do that, we need to uh, ascertain who is your ideal target market. And so having that kind of research is, is really positive because a lot of times clients themselves don't even know who their ideal target market is. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. So that's, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we're, building and have been able to build so far. And um, it, it seems odd to me. It's very strange to me, Gene, that such a thing did not exist already. Uh, that it was surprises me. Yeah, because a lot of times now, and you know, maybe before uh, before you started this company, it was just kind of like almost like a guessing game, right? Well, like I think my demographics are X, Y, Z, and they're you know women between the ages of thirty five and fifty five living in the. And, US. and what does that do for you? I, yeah, <laughs> demographic buckets in, in marketing, right? I think demographic buckets, like in the whatever forties, fifties, sixties, nineteen forties, fifties, sixties were maybe useful because you knew what publications generally reach those general demographics. But in a, an era of digital targeting, demographics just seems, I, I don't know, it's like, uh, it's like Fred Flintstone, you know, pedaling, <laughs> pedaling his car with his feet. It just right. seems uh, archaic. Absolutely. And, and it has been, and, and it has been very challenging, you know, for someone who is on the front lines of, of engaging with customers is like, 
how how do I market something when I don't even know who to market to based, you know, for you for the client and they don't even a lot of times know themselves. And so it just becomes a big challenge. And a lot of times we, you know, we miss the mark because not a lot of times, but sometimes we miss the mark because it's like, well, it's a new company and we're not even sure who the target market is, you know, a lot of times. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, the, the frustrating part that I always saw was just tons and tons of folks who were trying to start a new business or trying to start a new line of business or reach a new audience. And they, um, they just throw money at Google and Facebook. Yep. Right. Cause essentially, Oh, well, they'll sort out the targeting for us. And so sure we'll pay, you know, $4 and 95 cents per new customer acquired. And we, we make $5 per, and so Google and Facebook are no wonder, right? They're such big giant monopolies. They're gobbling up all the margins from all of these small and medium businesses and big businesses too. Um, and, and in fact, if you knew where your customers went, you could go build direct relationships with the, the podcasts that they listen to and the YouTube channels that they watch and subscribe to and the websites that they visit and the social accounts that they follow you could go direct and build those relationships and have a true competitive advantage in your marketing uh, and a much lower cost of customer acquisition, which, which is, that's exactly what SparkToro is trying to do, right? You, you say, I want to reach whatever chemical engineers in the UK, or I want to reach, you know, uh, interior designers in Los Angeles. And SparkToro will say, oh, well, here's what they pay attention to and follow and watch and read and visit. Um, so you can go build those relationships, go, go forge your own marketing instead of relying on these big platforms to do it for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's in the best interest of these black, big platforms, not to necessarily give you the right answers, right? Because that's how they make their money. <laughs> I mean, they've become more and more opaque over time, right? The, the, the data you used to be able to get inside of Facebook's ad targeting tool um, was reasonably robust four or five years ago, right? And then the Cambridge Analytica scandal happened and and Facebook pulled back on a bunch of that data. And so, in fact, a lot of, a lot of SparkToro's users are, in, in many ways, just using SparkToro's data to replace what's been lost from Google Display Network data and Facebook ad network data uh, so that they can be more intelligent about their ad placement, which yep. is somewhat ironic, but it, it is a good use of the data. Absolutely. I think it's so important to have that. And a lot of times we as uh, clients, I mean, we, I always remember that it's all about the data, but a lot of times, you know, clients forget it's like, well, should I do this or should I do that? Or, and it's like, well, let's take a look at the data. And that's why data is so critical when it yeah. comes to digital marketing. And, and a lot of times even worse, I, my experience with a lot of agencies and consultants has been that, you know, they're pitching their, their client and the client says, I want you to get us a story in the wall street journal. And you're like, what? The Wall Street Journal? That's not what our audience, re and, and, and we have the data, right? We can go, now you can go bring data to the conversation and say, all right, well, you know, 12% of architects in Los Angeles engage with the Wall Street Journal, you know, right. but 28% engage with our Connect Sessions podcast. Maybe, maybe we should go do a sponsorship of that since that's the audience you say you want to reach. So I, that's awesome. So I, I, I just love what you're doing because it's such a need in the industry. Uh, and I, that's fantastic. Oh, um, yeah. So cool. And, and I guess the next question you were kind of, we're talking a little bit about social media and of course that's a big part of digital marketing. So uh, one of the things uh, that kind of has been swirling around in my mind has been about the big changes. I, I, I think they're pretty big changes in social media, right? Uh, we've seen, 
during the election and I think other times too, but especially even during this election um, that happened, we're, we have started to see or we have seen that there's definitely been censorship when it comes to uh, what people are saying when it, on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. And what are your thoughts on that? I mean, when it comes to these platforms, like, do you feel like that we're going to start seeing lower usership of these platforms because of things like the censorship? Um, yeah, so I think a good um, a good pioneer in this space is is Reddit, who you know five or six years ago, right? They they started shutting down, and then they got more aggressive and more aggressive about shutting down communities that were filled with you know misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, um, you know a, a ton of obviously um, a, a ton of Reddit stuff started around GamerGate and and just misogyny and hatred of women in digital spaces uh, in general, and and. Um, Reddit saw that the more uh, the more action they took, right, the more they shut down these communities, the more they prevented these people from creating accounts and banned their IP addresses, the, the more and more user engagement they got, the more high quality engagement they got, the more ad revenue they got, the more logins they got. And so I, I think Reddit in a lot of ways proved to the digital marketing world and to the social media marketing world that, oh, the more you clamp down on hate speech and um, the more you exercise your, your freedom of speech rights, right? Because it's, it's Reddit's right as a company, a private corporation to decide what they do and don't want on their platform. That is, that is what the second amendment is, is there for, or sorry, the first amendment is there for, right? To protect their freedom of speech, to allow them to have the right to decide what they want and don't want on their platform. And, and now you see, I think Facebook, Twitter, YouTube um, have been slower, Twitter a little bit faster, Facebook sort of eh, not as fast, and YouTube really, really lagging in this space, uh, but now finally doing a little bit. And they you know, have seen the same sorts of things, right? That they can get much more high quality, regular engagement from a much more diverse set of people if they shut down the small group of sort of, you know, it's, it's mostly, guys like me, right? White men in their like 20s, 30s, 40s who are um, anti-women, anti-people of color, anti, um, you know, very, very homophobic, very problematic just in general, right? And those small communities of those people can destroy ecosystems, digital ecosystems really quickly. And so I think that um, it's, it's good to see some small efforts being taken here. I think that Obviously, these platforms have a long, long way to go before they're, they could be considered anything close to um, progressive um, or, or, right. uh, or fully there. But uh, what, what's good to see is that the, the economics back them up, right? That, that they all, you know, Twitter has, has gotten more aggressive about this and they've seen monthly active users, daily active users, number of logins, uh, ads they can, ad units they can show, revenue, all, all their metrics up and to the right. So I, I think this is a generally good thing. And, you know, in my personal opinion, Gene, I don't know how you feel about this, but my hope, my strong hope is that these companies, even if they saw the metrics going the other way, right? Fewer people logging in or, or you know, their, their daily active numbers going down or their ad revenue going down, that they would still exercise their freedom of speech right to decide who gets to be on their platform and doesn't and make the right ethical decision for their world and community and the, the world that they want to live in and say, no, we're not going to let white supremacists and, and, and hate speech 
peddlers onto our platform, even if it means more revenue. We are willing to sacrifice. I hope they would say, I don't think they would, but I, I wish so. they would say, right? I am willing to sacrifice money in exchange for what is right and good in this world. Th that's the sign of a good human being, right? And unfortunately, capitalism is a little... Um, oh, yeah, a little gray in that area, huh? Um, yeah, more than a little, but... <laughs> Yeah, yes. no, so that, yeah, long answer important. to your question. There. No, I don't know. This is good. I wanted to kind of to discuss it. Well, I, it sounds like it's actually moving in the, in the opposite direction, right? Like more people are logging in um, versus less because I was, yeah. you know, what I, I started kind of seeing perhaps some data saying that like it was going in the opposite direction, like less people, like m people moving away from those platforms. But it sounds like there is a lot of good usership and a lot of yeah. I mean at least so you know they come out with their quarterly reports for the for, right. for Wall Street and and the numbers um, certainly for I mean for Reddit it's it's been extraordinary and very obvious uh, for Twitter it's it's looked good I guess it's hard to say exactly all the things that are that are playing into that uh, Facebook is the one where the user and usage numbers are somewhat down or flat but that that's sort of exclusively in the United States you know worldwide it's still still growing um and in the u.s i think there's there's a lot of questions about what's what's happening there i think a lot of folks have recognized that facebook has become a sort of um, because of its uh anti you know wh whatever un unwillingness to take action on these hate speech types of things it's become a very unfriendly place for a lot of people right and a lot of a lot of people just tune out and turn off Facebook. And so now for many of those groups, they're, they're sort of, Facebook is relying on Instagram and WhatsApp to keep those users in their ecosystem. And you could see the, um, what was it? The FTC just last week filed this, um, you know, basically analysis that said, hey, that, that Obama era decision to allow Facebook to have these acquisitions was anti-competitive and we should, we should be looking into that from an antitrust issue. So that, that's really interesting too. If, you know, if I imagine a world where Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and Twitter and TikTok and, you know, all these platforms are different companies, the social media landscape gets a lot more robust and competitive. And then I think you'll see some really interesting market dynamics at play um, you know, Facebook has to compete against Instagram. Ooh, I, I would right. love to see that. But it's interesting to think about it, right? The way Instagram is now, a lot of it came from the funding and all of the, you know, the, the backing of, of Facebook, right? Had it been not acquired by Facebook originally, you wonder if it'd be as popular as it is now, right? It's like, we can't really tell necessarily how things could have played out, right? <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's tough to know. I think m most of the analysis I've seen is that uh, Instagram's growth ramp slowed following the Facebook acquisition and they were growing faster before it. Hmm. So the you know, whether they could have maintained scale or all those kinds of things. But remember, Instagram was a, what, 12-person team, 11-person team with... Um, zero revenue. Yeah, zero revenue and and yet close to half a billion users, I think, when they were acquired. So they were, you know, they were bigger than Twitter or as big or bigger than Twitter as when they were acquired. So it's really, it's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you, know, you never know how these things could have played out and how big and how big of a competitor Instagram would be now to Facebook. This podcast is brought to you by the Digital Marketing Method Monthly Group Coaching Program, your methodology for growing your business and your social media following. 
Join me and my group of supportive entrepreneurs and learn how you can grow your business and your social media following where we cover topics such as Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email marketing, and so much more. Go to dmgroup.online, dmgroup.online. And what are your thoughts on then what's moving forward? Now I'm seeing a, a pretty decent sized proliferation of small like micro social media platforms out there like for example just even for me i use strava you're probably familiar with strava right uh, i use that pretty re religiously have been for the last like six years you know and if so anybody who's listening who's not familiar with strava it's a social media platform for endurance athletes it's like very niche very small but like people love using it so what are your thoughts on you know next like 2021 and moving forward for social media in general yeah. Uh, my sense is that has been, you know, that's been a, a hallmark of the internet ever since the, the late nineties, right. That, that all these micro communities ranging in size from several hundred to a few million people that they are generally not on the radars of, you know, broader press and media. They don't get the coverage that a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram get, but they are still powerful, important uh, channels for forming connections. They can be wonderful places to participate in and I think that, um, very frankly, if you're a digital marketer, these communities are incredibly valuable because you can build, you know, like we talked about earlier on, right? You can, if you know that your audience is available in Strava or that they're paying attention to, I don't know, some um, Dungeons and Dragons gaming community, because, you know, that, that's, that's who you want to reach, or they're uh, all on... Um, you know, I don't know, parlor, right? Because they're talking about guns and killing black people. That's probably, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you shouldn't market there. That's probably not a good um, place to do that. Uh, and then, right there, there's, um, there's communities of all these kinds of uh, forums, um, you know, subreddits, uh, hashtags that people follow. There are communities that are, you know, uh, for live streaming, uh, Twitch has built uh, huge networks in, in this area. I think those are extremely exciting for both digital marketers and participants. I think it's wonderful as a human being to be able to break out of what everybody else is using, right? Facebook, Facebook Instagram, whatever, yeah. <laughs> and go find your community, right? Your people, a space where you feel um, connected, where you feel you know, emotional resonance, where you feel support, where you can build a network. Uh, and, and those smaller communities tend to be much friendlier places, much more open. Um, people tend to feel more comfortable there because there's not the sort of, you know, uh, hate speech problem. And I, I don't just mean hate speech, but, but harassment and, you know, all the kinds of things that, that people deal with on Instagram and Facebook. Um, those sorts of things aren't present to the same degree. And so it's great for those individuals. And as a digital marketer, if you can figure out where those communities are and engage them, whether that's with an ad buy or a sponsorship or co-marketing or, hey, can I appear on your podcast, your, your live stream? Can I pitch to submit an article? Can I, you know, can I participate in the community and start a thread and build relationships? All those things are possible. Um, and I think that's, frankly, uh, in, in many ways, much more exciting than just trying to compete with everybody on Facebook and attract people to your page. I wholeheartedly agree that so often uh, entrepreneurs, 
and digital marketers are like, oh, well, everyone's on Facebook, so I should be on Facebook, right? So I should be on Twitter. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's like, well, everyone's saying it and Gary Vee's saying it. Not to say that Gary Vee is not wrong, but I'm not, not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying like a lot of these gurus and a lot of these people out there who are you know big in the digital marketing space always talk about the big platforms. And they don't really mention really often the, the smaller platforms, which I totally agree with you. Like if you have a product that is in like the athletic space, like, I don't know, you're selling um, electrolyte solutions, like Strava would be the perfect place for that, right? Like, yeah. it's very uh, I find, <laughs> I, I find uh, a, a large percentage of the great stuff that I find online is through small communities that I follow in like the cooking world, which I'm sort of obsessed with during COVID because um, we're all locked in. Uh, and uh, in, in the software as a service world, I pay deep and close attention to indie hackers and hacker news, right? That I'm reading those sources every single day and consuming all the stuff there. And so if, if you want to influence people like me, SaaS founders, small community, probably a couple hundred thousand of us around the world, but we all have money to spend, right? We're all looking for services to plug into our products and we're all looking for APIs and we're looking for advice and information and a community. That's where you want to reach us. Going to Facebook, even Twitter, right? Going to LinkedIn, you're competing with everybody, right? You have to break through the machine learning signals uh, system for analyzing signal from noise. And, and you know, it has, it has the option to display whatever, 100,000 things to us every minute. Breaking through that is a Herculean effort compared to going to indie hackers and putting up a post and chances are, yeah, you know, Rand will probably see it. If it's there, he'll probably see it. Yeah, and absolutely. It's so it's so true, like the noise and it's like, you don't have to deal with the whole like, oh, it's no longer in the feed because because Facebook changed the algorithm. Probably everything will be in the feed and everything will be available to Rand or whomever is looking at it, right? Gene, this is one I cannot for the life of me understand the, I understand the incentive of the platforms to push disappearing content, but I cannot for the life of me understand why someone who wants to do marketing or brand building of any kind would spend any of their time on disappearing ephemeral content, right? The, the whatever, right. your Snapchat stories, or your Instagram stories, your, your uh, Twitter is copying that now, Facebook's copied it, right? All, all those kinds of things. I just don't understand that phenomenon. It is... Whew. Right. But also just even like not being able to appear in the feed because it's so big and noisy, right? Like so often uh, Facebook's algorithm is just like, you don't get into the feed because there's so many people in it. Yeah, and mean, so only a certain percentage of your followers or users just see your content, even on your personal, let's say Facebook. Sure. Page. Yeah. You, you know, if you have more than 10 people you're connected to on Facebook and, and a few groups, you could log into Facebook and be there 18 hours a day with only six hours of sleep. And you would not be able to consume all the content that, that Facebook has the option of showing you. Right. Right. So yeah, breaking through that is, is pretty darn difficult. I, I do think that these niche communities are finding it more and more difficult to um, build traction and attention unless they find very focused groups who are dissatisfied with their experience in other places, right? I think Strava is a good example where they, they provide enough unique value to folks in the athletic world, right? Um, that they can attract that community. I think that um, uh, you know, indie hackers does the same thing around software as a service. It's, it's pretty difficult in, um, a lot of consumer and broadly interesting, 
I, I don't want to say broadly interesting, broad interest area spaces to do the same thing. Um, and so I, I, yeah, I don't know what we'll see. We could, I think that could go one of two directions. I think that in the next few years, we could see that more and more sub-communities like that become, you know, powerful Facebook groups, powerful um, subreddits, you know, Twitter chats, all, all those kinds of things. Or we could see that independently communities build up around those sources. I'd much rather see the latter than the former, but yeah. I agree. I think having these little independent communities is, is beneficial. You don't have that like big giant, you know, thing behind you, like the Facebook and the Twitter, and you kind of like can rule your own little universe, you know? And yeah, of course there's always challenges, right? Like, cause you have to get more people on, you probably have to get sponsorship, but that's part of, I guess what we're talking about now, right? Is if you're a digital marketer, we kind of, I mean, even me, like I get a little lazy. I'm like, yeah, I mean, Facebook and Twitter and then LinkedIn is all there, but like, going out there and researching these little platforms is probably a much better benefit to my clients a lot of times because like they're, they're, you know, they're available and they're probably there for a very niche market. Yeah. Yeah. Very, um, very exciting to imagine a, a world more like the early internet, right. Where you have a lot of this, uh, diversity and also, um, micro groups. And then, and then as a digital marketer, our job is just to do good research to figure out where those people are. Right. Absolutely. So awesome. Oh, last question I always ask my uh, guests is it's a kind of a loaded question is what is your prediction for the future? And that could be specifically what we talked about today, digital marketing. It could be terraforming Mars, self-driving cars. It could be AI, whatever, whatever's on your mind, <laughs> you know, it could be a year from now or 10 years from now. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, so I, the last couple of decades have taught me not to try and predict the long-term future. <laughs> okay. I think that's a fool's errand, but um, I think we have a lot of information about what's going to happen in 2021 and into 2022. And I think um, what, uh, what that suggests to me is we're, we're going to see a return to much more, I want to say normalcy, like what the past 40, 50 years looked like in uh, American politics and government, and probably in 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 general uh, world relations as well. Uh, I think we're also going to see a substantial boom in travel, tourism, in-person events and conferences, um, a, a willingness to to spend income, especially among sort of the the wealthiest 20, 30 percent um, of the Western world who've been like kind of sitting on their dollars and euros and, and saving up for a day when the, when the um, vaccines are, are broadly available. And that's probably nine months away, but not, not much more than that. Um, and so I think we're, we're going to see that, that opening up uh, the, the end of the last pandemic in, what was that? Uh, 1918, 1919 saw what, what, you know, what now is referred to as like the roaring twenties, where there was this, this massive amount of, um, you know, excess and, and spending and economic growth. Uh, I, I see a lot of prognosticators in the economic field saying the same thing. As a marketer, what that means is I think that, the, that brands are going to be building a lot of resiliency and power and influence in the next one to two years. And so it's, it's sort of up to us as marketers to um, make those investments early and and build that 
brand efficacy and traction. Otherwise, we'll probably lose out to the ones who are making those investments. I think if you're conservative um, in your investments, the next six to 12 months, you're, you're going to be surpassed by people who are optimistic for mm -hmm. that future. Wow. I love it. Thanks. That's a, uh, I, I love predict. I love everybody has their own take on everything that I, and that, and that <laughs> question. So that's why it's a very open-ended loaded question. And I love hearing everybody's um, thoughts, you know, it's a prediction. Who knows if it's going to be right or yeah, wrong? Yeah, but yeah. at least it's good to discuss it and see what's going on. What you know, what your what your top of mind is, kind of as I like to I like to think about it. So, well, awesome. Thank you. This has been fantastic. I I love this. Of course, I love talking about digital marketing and social media. And of course, you're one of those people that loves doing that too. So it's great to have you on. Uh, last question is: How can our audiences get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, so I am, I'm easy to find. I'm most active on Twitter where I'm at Rand Fish, uh, but you're also welcome to email me, Rand at SparkToro. And if you, if you want to give the software a spin, it's uh, forever free to try at SparkToro.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. This was great having yeah, you thanks back for on. Having <laughs> yes. Thank you. And uh, yeah, definitely we'll have to do this again in six months or so. Have you okay. on because, you know, always new things going on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>